0: Thanks for downloading this podcast.
1: It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or
0: used in any form without permission.
2: Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. RadioLeMans.com. Well, here we are at Aston Martin Gaird for the uh, unveiling, if you will, of the Academy Driver for 2016. We'll get to that in a moment. But I'm with uh, Andy Palmer, who has now been in the top job at Aston Martin for... Is it, is it a whole year now, Andy?
3: It's a whole year, yeah, absolutely.
2: Steep learning curve, is it? I mean, you, you came, obviously, from, from Nissan, a huge part of the car industry, to not exactly a bespoke car manufacturer, but a, a, a very different atmosphere, I would think, from, from where you'd been.
3: Yeah, very different. I mean, obviously, the the concept of designing and making cars, the same principles, selling cars even, to some extent, the same principles, but a much, uh, a much smaller customer base, obviously a much higher price. But it ticked a couple of boxes for me. Um, number one, it got me into... Uh, the luxury segment, which I've I've done practically every other segment in the car industry during my career, hadn't done the luxury segment and wanted to, and um, it got me into the top job as CEO, I report out to uh, the shareholders, um, and most importantly, you know, such an iconic British brand, only five miles away from where I went to school. On the sporting side of things,
2: um, Aston have always been known for uh, racing what they produce. Mm. Um, One might say Win on Sunday, sell on Monday—an um, old adage, but I still think quite a uh, quite a one that that rings true today. Is that still the major aim for Aston Martin and its sports cars in the
3: future? Yes, simply. I mean, the epicenter, from my point of view, of motorsport is actually GT four, because GT four is is the car that you can drive on the road today and race, if you want, buy on Friday and race on Saturday. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that, that I think is, is, is key. It's, you know, it's essentially they are the same cars and just a rock age in them. Um, so I think that's, that's really important. Then, of course, you've got the, the natural evolution of that look take take the gt4 stretch it a bit if you're really good then you could imagine yourself being in WEC, being at le mans in a gt3 and i think that's that that's why we do gt3 gte Mm -hmm. um i I think that also makes complete sense and i i see those two as really core then we start to stretch so then you start to see cars like the the vulcan Mm -hmm. what does the vulcan do it's a track only luxury racing car but most importantly it's an aero car so you start to show where where you could go, and you start to be able to show drivers what you can do, and you start to make that, that bridge, maybe to be connected in the future, to other serious motorsports. So, um, you know, that pushes where we are today. Uh, I think it's relevant, because you get your drivers understanding the aero effects of the car, and it, and it also makes sure that our engineers are also knowing what, what those aero techniques are. So... That's as far as we go today. You know, that's, that gives us GT4, GT3, GTE and aero effect cars. Um, but it obviously starts to make a bridge for what we might do in the future when we've got more cash around us. There has, of course, been a
2: link made uh, between your appearance in a certain Formula One pit mm-hmm. at Silverstone, which, of course, is just down the road from where we are now. And the way you're talking there makes it sound... Far more like the engineering side of F1 and the aero side of F1 could be something in Aston Martin's future, rather than simply a branding exercise. And and if you will, um, as many people unkindly I think have said it, it would be a vanity project for Aston Martin to go to F1.
3: Yeah, I mean, actually I think I was, uh, if I remember correctly, I was the invite of KPMG at uh, the Formula One that you're referring to. But yes, I was. I was obviously I know a lot of people in the in the pit lane. Um, I think it would be disingenuous if there wasn't some form of technical link to going racing we're, we're not we're not johnny walker uh, we're, we're not tagger we're, we're, a, we're a car company so mm. stickers on the side of a car whilst it's interesting if you're sitting let's say in china and you're, you're trying to build a story around the brand mm-hmm. i think it's disingenuous i think there has to be a technical linkage there uh, and, of course, there has to be the money to be able to do it. Yes. So let's make the assumption that we, you know, we've, we've got the uh, the aero capability, and you see it in, in Vulcan. Let's make the assumption, more than assumption, let's create the fact that we're darn good when it comes to bonding aluminium and um, of carbon, use of carbon fibre, and that we're doing a lot of advanced technology um, studies on structural use of carbon fibre, which starts to you know, resonate with the way that you would use those kind of things, not only on a road car, but also in a Formula 1 car or even an LMP1 car. Yes. And eventually you might say, well, there could be a bridge there. No, it's not, it's not anything that I have in my hands today. It seems nowadays
2: that uh, sports car manufacturers, particularly at the high premium end, um, are all looking for new technology. You mentioned... Uh, WEC and LMP1, hybrid, of course, mm-hmm. in there, as well as in, in F1. Aston Martin had a slightly less than successful double M P one a few years ago, but clearly something you've got to keep an eye on in, in your position as a, a manufacturer of high-end
3: sports cars. Yeah, it would, be, uh, it would be stupid of me to close the door and say never, because one never says never. Um, obviously, if, if money's no object, then you can obviously use LMP1 to tell you a lot about... You know, GT, GT3, GTE, and and that's interesting. Um, but you need to you need to be able to write a, a significant check <laughs> and go there, knowing that, you know, within a two or three year project, that you've got. You go to win when you go to when when you go to LMP1, you go to win. Now that doesn't say that I, I, I've been in trouble in a previous life for saying the same thing. It doesn't mean that you're going to win. It means that you go with the intention to win yeah. and that you put that you 're prepared to put the resources necessary to to, to get there and of course in, in, and to have the opportunity to win, yeah indeed, and you need the right drivers and you need the right conditions mm. and you need the right car and mm. there 's a lot of things that have to come together and, and in consequence it 's a big commitment but it 's a very relevant commitment you know in the, in the longer longer future that we, we shouldn 't discount that possibility right. mm. a word about
2: the academy where Uh, announcing the young driver who will be with you as a a factory uh, driver for 2016 right here at Gaden today. From Aston Martin's point of view as a brand, how important is it to be connecting directly to the race series in which these young drivers have been driving your cars,
3: effectively? Mm. So I think it's an obligation. I think when when you're a long time in motorsport, and we are a long time in motorsport, you can't... You can't be there and constantly feeding off other people. And I'm talking about driver programs here. Mm. At some moments or other, I think you have to give something back to the sport. And that giving something back to the sport, for me, is a little bit like you know, apprenticeships for the guys that are working on the line here. You know, they're, not, they're not effective from day one, but they're a part of the... The substance of the company in the in the future and the industry itself and i think um the academy is 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 really the apprenticeship of racing drivers and i think it's obligatory when you're in the sport for a long time that you 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 do that and you give that you give that both for the benefit of your company of course you know that feeds other companies as well and it feeds the sport final word about aston martin as a brand and as
2: a manufacturer in the uk The whole of the automotive world is uh, looking to the future, has to. What sort of position is Aston Martin now to move on through this century and in terms of its position in the sector going forward?
3: Uh, We're here to stay. I mean, we've been around for 102 years. We're not easy to kill. Uh, Clearly, my mandate in coming here is to to make a company that's sustainable, which means um, continues to be liquid, continues to be profitable. You've seen the how it can be done well. Ferrari gives you a great indication of the value of a small series sports car maker. If you think about, you know, the, the, we're the only car company that really looks like Ferrari. And on top of that, we have the crossover that we're going to be doing in the future. Um, still very much in that luxury space. I think, um, you know, if I, was, if I was investing in in this industry, knowing how difficult this industry is, there's really only two sectors of the industry that you can say are, are really got a very bright future. One is the entry car level, mm-hmm. uh, um, and you see that because of the likes of China and uh, India. And the other is the luxury, luxury segment, partially because some people are leaving it going after bigger, bigger volumes and partially because it's, it's growing and there are always going to be people out there that can afford beautiful, expensive cars. And if you build sports cars, you race sports cars as well at Aston Martin? I, I cannot imagine Aston Martin not racing in at least GT4, GT3 and GTE.
2: Uh, John Gore is the Managing Director and Team Principal of Aston Martin Racing. The academy then... Uh, a new initiative for 2015 and, uh, well, what an intake of drivers that you had in from a, a variety of different backgrounds, a variety of different experience levels. How hard was it to to make the decision that uh, we've just heard here to do?
1: Well, the hardest decision to make, first of all, was who the 10 were. <laughs> so at the start of the season, um, we were optimistic, but were a bit surprised at the number of people that actually applied. Um, and we said 10 was the maximum we could take. Um, and there was many other drivers we could have taken, but we tried to take a mix of experience um, because that was quite important. Um, and then getting down to the actual decision was really quite difficult. I think there was there was four people that could have won it mm. um, and all showed very similar capabilities on the track at Bahrain at the end. Um, for sure speed on the track wasn't the deciding factor it was an important factor because we're here to go racing (laughs) so you have to be fast on the track stopwatch is always the ultimate (laughs) arbiter isn't it (laughs) it always is, it's the key to the door as it were Um, but you know I think that Ross had um, demonstrated um, an excellent ability in all areas including on the track with very limited experience in anything outside a GT4 car Mm. and we felt that um, he had the most potential um, but it wasn't an easy decision, for sure.
2: What was the driving force, pun absolutely intended, in forming this scheme in the first place? Because it's, it's quite an altruistic thing to do. You're looking for new talent all the time, obviously. But this was a little more than that, because there was an element here of even the candidates who haven't won the ultimate prize of all being through a learning experience here, which makes this stand out from some of the similar schemes.
1: Um, I think it all stemmed from um there's an awful lot of people who want to be a factory driver and who don't honestly truly understand what it takes. Um and you know, speed is probably only ten or fifteen percent of it and there's another probably seven or eight things that people do. And we talked for a long time about um trying to articulate what they were and apart from saying Look at Darren Turner, <laughs> because he's a good example of a well-rounded individual. Mm. Um, and we were having lots of conversations with people over what it took to be a factory driver. Um, and we said, well, maybe people don't truly really understand it. So maybe the best thing to do is spend some time with people across the year and take them through the experience from start to finish of you know, the brand, the technicians, the data with the engineers, um, the driving itself, the PR, um, and we took them through the, the training we, and we took them through and gave them experience of them all. And I think people then understood more the breadth of capabilities that, that, I guess, you know brands are looking for when they have factory drivers.
2: It's a very good point that you make there because sometimes you know we're a niche part of a niche sport here in endurance racing and GT and endurance racing. People obviously always look to the top of the tree, Formula One. But the kind of attributes you're talking about for a factory driver in a GT car, whether it's a GTE, a GT3, or anywhere through, the fact that you've got factory on it, you're operating at the same level as the guys at the very highest part of the sport. Be it F1, be it LMP1.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, this and the uh, pressures are the same. Yeah, for sure, you know. So, and there's a lot of the one of the thing, the big things that's changed in endurance racing the last couple of years is a lot of Formula or single seat type drivers coming in. You know, Richie Stanaway was a great example. Um, and he came in with a very limited uh, mindset of what a factory mm. driver um, looks like. You know, he, he used to coming in and driving the car flat out, and not working with his teammate, crashing quite a lot, and expecting the team just to fix it, um, and then not doing anything outside the car either. Mm. Um, so y- we quickly realised that if we're going to have people who we want to replace Darren Turner in the future, I hate when I say that, um, but in the future he's going on forever. Don't worry, he's going on forever. It's all right, Darren. It's all right, <laughs> and then. And you know we, we have a responsibility to train them on what a good job looks like um, and that really was part of the academy
2: When you looked at the, the breadth of the candidates you said that there was at least four that could have won this Did it in some way surprise you to find there was that much talent out there and that much young talent that wanted sports cars and GTs to be a part of their career future?
1: Yeah, I mean it definitely is one thing that's changed. I mean even I would I'd tell you even for this season. Um we've already been testing some people that are fifteen or sixteen year old and already been are already quicker than Johnny Adam in a G T four car. Um and he's kind of scratching his head a little bit. Um and there is so much more talent um available to um sports cars for people that, that have got a single seater and karting background. Mm. Um and it's only grown, the interest has only grown for sure. The the growth and growth of particularly the GT side
2: of endurance racing, a lot of it is fuelled by um, wealthy individuals who want to come and take part. The amateur driver, the non-pro driver, that's been a part of motorsport in general for, well, ever since there was a sport. It's almost the last bastion of that in sports car racing. How important then is it for young drivers like Ross to be able to work with those type of people and how how big a part of his future will that be?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is, will be, you know, that is, I would say, I don't know how many things there are, but certainly if there's 10 things, that's one of the 10 things mm-hmm. is um, working to maximise the potential of an amateur driver. Um, you know, it's what Johnny Adam did with Andrew Howard, was a really good example. Um, and that's how he started his career um, and you know bringing Andrew on to win the British Championship was mm-hmm. an important milestone in Johnny's factory career as well mm-hmm. um, and you know Ross will be placed with one of the drivers for next year and mm-hmm. um, one of the Aston Martin um, gentlemen drivers and um, there's a role for um, people like that as well for sure. And Aston as a brand of course has
2: the personality that attracts that sort of driver so perhaps more than any other brand that is a a key part of being an Aston Martin factory driver.
1: Uh, Yeah I mean from a brand perspective it's key for two two sides It, it, it People like to be associated with it, um, and that's good from a um, gentleman driver perspective. But it's also good from a sponsor perspective as well. Um, and as you know, John, that's how the that's how the factory team is funded. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for sure, having um, partners in the team, whether they be brand lovers or drivers, is a critical part of the makeup of of the race team. Uh,
2: GTE, GT3, GT4. It's uh, now a, a credible career path for young drivers what's it from the manufacturer point of view, from the team's point of view, is it a good time to be involved in GT racing?
1: Yeah, for drivers it certainly is. I mean, you know, I think Ford coming to the marketplace this year has um, certainly increased a lot of drivers' salaries, <laughs> um, which is a good thing for the drivers. Maybe not a good thing for the manufacturers. You Need to
2: get back driving again, John.
1: <laughs> well, the last time I was driving, it was very expensive for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was too much crashing and not enough driving. Um, no, but yeah, for sure, it's a it's a good time in sports cars just now, and drivers can definitely earn a good lot of money. You know, even for some right. of them, it might not be the end game. Mm. Um, they've maybe not given up on the dream of um, single seat Formula One but it can be a really good stepping stone and I always say to the drivers when we sign contracts with them, for some of the young guys then you know um, this can be a good stepping stone and it might not be the final part of the journey, it might be the final part mm-hmm. of the journey but it might not be and certainly for any of the drivers that we sign we will not step in the way if better opportunities come along. You know, Richie was a really good example who had the LMP1 factory test at um, Bahrain, and I think did I uh, think surprisingly well. I think it mm. surprised them. though. I know they don't have a slot for them right now, um, but you know if, if an opportunity came up, um, you know for Richie, for example, in um, single seeders for next year, um, we'd certainly release him uh, for that.
2: Has it been a success? the Academy this year and are you planning to repeat it in the coming season?
1: Uh, yes and yes is the answer. Um, the, um, I think there was five of the guys um, won championships for Aston Martin as a brand in lots of different marketplaces in Asia, in the UK and um, I came very very close in America so Partnering with um, other funded drivers has been a big success for people within the academy. So, and also we found some um, really interesting young guys out of it. And the guys that don't win, for sure, we'll be trying to, you know, make sure they continue with the brand and helping them on their career as well. Because, as I say, it was all very close in the end.
2: Well, Ross, I think the first thing we've got to say is congratulations. Uh, what a fantastic opportunity! Has it sunk in
0: yet? Not really, to be honest. Um, it still feels like a bit of a dream, if I'm truly honest. The uh, last week uh, has been pretty amazing. It's been very hard to concentrate on normal day-to-day life but um, it's a fantastic opportunity that I've got going forward for next season uh, racing with Andrew in the GT3 with Aston Martin Racing's backing um, and it's going to be my job to make sure that I can prove that they've made the right decision and just generally just do the best I can throughout the year. Let's rewind to when you
2: found out that you had been selected for the Academy.
0: Just to be included in that is yeah. actually quite an honour. Yeah, to be included in the Aston Martin Evolution Academy amongst nine other really, really strong drivers that have had a fantastic year. Um, they were all they all performed very well throughout the seminars, um, just proving how much of a great opportunity the Evolution Academy is for young GT drivers wanting to make a career. Um, and to come out on top of those drivers is something very special. Um, because they are all very good.
2: Was there any point throughout the selection process where the, you either thought, "Oh, I've got a real chance of this, or conversely, "Oh
0: dear, I really have made a mistake there? Not really. I never really thought about the, the end sort of uh, prize, to be honest, throughout the whole thing. I was thinking about day-to-day jobs, test days, races. Um, it was never really on my mind. I just came to do the job, and um, thankfully that was enough to to be chosen, which I'm very grateful for. You've won the prize.
2: If you hadn't, is what you've gone through, would that have still been useful for you? Do you feel that you've learned something throughout the whole process? Because the difference, I feel, with uh, with this as, as opposed to other schemes is it was a learning process, not just a selection process.
0: Yeah, more than anything, it was a learning process because we had so many seminars here at Gade and at AMR headquarters in Banbury Um, So it was a massive learning experience and it was all about teaching us on how to become a professional racing driver. And if I hadn't won the award, I know that I would have been in a much stronger position starting next season than when I started this season. So overall, it's been a fantastic experience and I'm sure the drivers that were in it will go into next year much stronger than they were last year. How old are you? Remind us. I'm 18. I'm 19 next week. Right, Okay.
2: When I've, down the years, have spoken to... Drivers of your age, normally, they've been looking at a single-seater career. They'll have come out of karting, done a little bit of single-seater, whatever yeah. it was at the time. Now, OK, you're a little bit taller, and that might in- influence the decision, but why is Ross Gunn looking at a, a
0: career in GTs and not in single-seaters? It's pretty simple, really. it's because it's the best career route for a racing driver. It's, it's um, becoming more and more plain and clear that this is the way for racing drivers to go if they want to make a professional career out of motorsport. I've got nothing against single-seater championships. You know. Um, you know, getting to Formula One is a fantastic dream to have. But it became pretty evident when I was sort of 16, 17 that that route wasn't possible because of you know financial situation and certain things. Um, having said that, I was given a fantastic opportunity at the start of this season with Andrew Howard. Mm. Um, and Susie Howard from Beach Dean to race the GT4. So I couldn't, I couldn't turn that down in any way, and I'm so happy that I decided to go that way because the GT route is something that a lot of drivers are looking towards.
2: And in some ways, again, I'm an awful lot older than you. I look back to the day when, speaking to someone like you, there would have been a Formula Ford career, maybe a Formula Ford 2000, Formula... 3 formula 2 formula 1 yeah. there was a very very well de- defined ladder that's not as easy in single seat as nowadays however in gt's it's beginning to look a lot like that with you know various junior championships then gt4 gt3 and we're beginning to see a progression of a career that builds there that in some ways makes your decisions a little bit easier
0: it does make my decisions a little bit easier because there is a a very clear category system so GT4 is a great starter. You know, It's on a car that's on a road car base, it hasn't got downforce, and it's fairly simple and easier to drive than a, a 3 or an E, for example. Mm. Um, but I think any driver that's looking to get into sports cars is looking at the Le, trying to get to Le Mans 24 hours and WEC and all those sort of things. So um, there's a very clear progression. Um, a lot of drivers want to go to LMP1, some want to go to GTE. At the moment, I'm focusing on hopefully in four or five years time being in a gte car that will be a great aim coming through the gt4 ranks as we've said uh,
2: proper sports cars proper racing very few driver aids you move up into a gt3 spec car um far more developed faster but with more driver aids where do you
0: stand on that as a young driver learning his trade uh of course having driver aids makes the job slightly easier but um to be honest, it's still not an easy car to drive. Any car that you drive on the limit is never easy, um, and it's not supposed to be, and that's why we all love pushing cars to the limit. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, the the change from GT4 to GT3 will be mainly on the, the aero side and power side. So, And also the fact that the GT3 is 80% race car and mm. the GT4 is 20% race car. Um, that's a big difference so it's going to be more of a race car and it's going to feel more real if you mean, if you know what i mean so mm. um but as far as the drive rates they're there and they do help you but you've sometimes got to take advantage of them of course
2: of course and ringing the last two or three percent out of a race yeah, car yeah, is what yeah. professional guys do all the time you've just been confirmed as the winner of this fantastic prize is it even in your mind yet to set yourself goals for next year and for next season, and and how you can make the best use of the opportunity
0: that's given to you? So at the moment, I'm just thinking about the the process more than anything. I'm not really thinking of the end goal. Obviously, next year I want to help Andrew as much as possible and help myself where I can, and you know, prove to everyone watching that the AMR Evolution Academy is something that's successful. Um, that will be obviously my first goal. Um, but then moving forward, you know, I'd like to think that I can develop in the GT3 and, and push myself and help Andrew as well, Coach Andrew, um, to a you know higher level. He performed very well, at, especially at the back end of 2015. So if we can maintain that for next year, that'll be great. Um, but I, I need to learn a lot of things about the GT3 first of all, which I'll be working on hard over the winter. Also got my fitness to work on. Um, and then we'll go from there. But uh, I think it's too early to... Make any goals as such, but out in the middle distance, there's still
2: the Le Mans 24 Hours. Around about
0: what 2020? Yeah, I'd say 2020 is a good, good target, definitely. This program
1: is a radio show limited production.
0: Your
3: friends there's more at
2: Radiolamont.com.